Welcome to Talking Robots, the podcast with an inside view on the science, technology, and business of intelligent robotics. Hi, I'm Sabine Howard from the Laboratory of Intelligent Systems at the EPFL in Lausanne, Switzerland. Today we'll be talking to David Hansen, who is the director of Hansen Robotics, which makes social android robots. If you fancy a tea with Einstein, or a sci-fi discussion with Philip K. Dick, he might just be able to provide you with some interesting lookalikes, capable of human-like interactions and facial expressions. Are these robots too real? What role can they play in our society? Hansen will answer all these questions using his artistic style and vision. Hi David, welcome to Talking Robots. Hi, it's nice to be here. Your company, Hansen Robotics, has been a pioneer and world leader in creating robots which look like humans and interact with them. Tell us about your vision concerning social robots. What is it that you want to create? Well, I hope to create social robots that are useful in a variety of applications, but are especially useful because they communicate with people in a way that people understand, that is, uh, via facial expressions, natural facial expressions, um, uh, with all the nuance and subtlety that we associate with, uh, with the human face, um, conversational capabilities, and uh, entertaining, engaging dialogue. So um, I see this uh, not merely as a technical uh, a set of technical objectives, but also artistic objectives. And um, so I liken this um, uh, to what film was in the early 20th century. Uh, it was a, a highly technical um, undertaking to create a, an effective uh, film technology, um, but uh, it wasn't until artists and storytellers began to um, investigate the medium that it became uh, a, a, uh, a meaningful communication medium in people's lives. So uh, I see the applications for this kind of art and technology extending from entertainment um, as a form of character animation, uh, the ro- where the robots are uh, fictional characters, if you will. You sort of... Div- design their personality as a, as a form of interactive fiction, uh, conversational fiction, and uh, their hardware is a kind of uh, interactive animated sculpture. Um, so I see that being potentially a very powerful uh, type of product in the consumer markets, uh, consumer market space. Um, I also see this technology potentially being very useful for education, uh, where um, because it is very entertaining and engaging and holds people's attention very effectively, um, it can deliver educational content much more effectively. Could you present to our listeners some of your Android robots? Uh, sure, sure, absolutely. So um, uh, uh, why don't we start with, uh, with the early robots and go forward from there. Um, I uh, started with... Uh, a robot, uh, uh, the, the sort of the first robot that was uh, well known that I made was the uh, was the K-Bot, 
And um, uh, the K-Bot was a, a portrait of a friend of mine from Dallas. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, it was a, um, uh, designed to imitate um, a, a full range of facial expressions. But the material was not as supple as some of the previous materials from my robots or later materials, so the expressions are not as as effective. But the key innovation with KBOT was that I had um, embedded the cameras directly into the eyes of the robot um, and had some speech recognition uh, that was coupled with the robot and some uh, uh, a little bit of natural language processing and um, uh, 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 delivery of uh, pre-recorded speech from a library. Um, I wasn't using uh, text-to-speech synthesis at that time. I just had a library of pre-recorded responses. But the robot was able to see faces, make eye contact, and respond to, um, to speech. And so uh, this allowed a dramatic conversational interaction uh, and nonverbal interaction with the robot that um, inspired the um, uh, later robots that you've described. The key invention um, beyond that technology integration was uh, the skin material, which was not perfected in KBOT but was prototyped in KBOT and a couple of earlier robots. That allowed the um, robots to run on uh, very low power on AA batteries in that particular case. Um, so that meant that the robots could technically be uh, attached to existing biped robot technology and um, represent a complete integrated uh, human emulation robot. We developed the artistry forward in um, the Philip K. Dick robot, where we brought back to life uh, science fiction writer Philip K. Dick um, as an android, uh, which was ironic because he wrote about androids that didn't know that they were human or would have identity crisis. Um, they wanted to live. They wanted the, hum the rights of humans, um, this kind of thing. Um, uh, uh, sometimes, you know, the androids showed more compassion than human beings did, and I thought that was an interesting concept that brings us, you know, brought, brought us a sort of full circle with the androids. Um, making it the point that we need these androids to be compassionate or else they threaten our very existence. So at some point, these robots need to develop compassion. And then if they do, then when they get smarter than human beings, then they may help us manage this planet more uh, wisely than we've been able to do so far. Other researchers such as Ishiguro, Hara, Akazawa, and the IAI group at CMU have also been looking at android robots. What makes your robot different from theirs? Well, um, uh, they they all do really good work, of course, and there are many other groups doing very very good work, as well. Uh, the the key uh, there are two things that make uh, our robots different uh, to date. Um, one is uh, the rubber material, which uh, requires so much less energy to deform into facial expressions uh, um, that it can be mounted on walking robots, so that you're able to achieve complete walking robots that uh, require very small motors which make possible consumer products. So 
we're hoping to get our technology into in, out into the world and into research labs as a low-cost uh, research um, uh, device and into real-world applications fairly quickly. Uh, the Frubber also makes um, better facial expressions. Um, it can compress more easily and, and uh, bend into the types of shapes uh, that uh, are required for good facial expressions more easily than conventional materials. Um, but uh, to do that, it requires a little more than just the proper material. It requires a, uh, artistry. It requires um, uh, engineering, uh, the mechanical engineering and also the soft body material engineering uh, to be done in such a way that uh, the end expression uh, achieved with uh, this uh, uh, complex engineered system looks as though it were sculpted, looks as good as though Michelangelo had sculpted that particular expression. So if you think about the 48 major muscle groups, and you think about all the major expressions in the human face, well, then you have a very complex aesthetic and artistic problem. Um, and, uh, and, and achieving those expressions in a way that is very, very human-like, um, is non-trivial. <clears throat> so so uh, that kind of Renaissance approach of fusing um, very high-end artistry with, uh, with uh, groundbreaking engineering and materials, uh, I think that that's, uh, that's uh, distinct in our robots. In 1970, Mori presented his theory on the Uncanny Valley, so what his theory says is that as a robot becomes more and more human-like, humans are more attracted to it, until a certain point where the robot is so human-like that it becomes scary. And this is the uncanny valley. And the only way to get past this uncanny valley is to have a robot which completely resembles a human so that we can't tell the difference. What is your take at the uncanny valley? Um, we believe, I believe, that... Our robots um, uh, can be designed so that you don't have to care about the level of realism. They can they can be beautiful and accepted, accepted, and appealing, and uh, meaningfully communicative, no matter what the level of realism is, as long as they're designed well. But if they're designed poorly, it doesn't matter what level of realism you achieve. You could make um, something that looks like it could be a real human. It's perfectly realistic then, but it could be very ugly or scary looking, um, you know, or just flat mean, and that could be disturbing. Um, well, likewise, with, uh, with very abstract robots, you can make uh, very abstract characters that are uh, disturbing and unappealing. So uh, the, this, is a, this is a kind of reigning paradigm uh, in the world of uh, social robots that you should avoid uh, realistic robots or nearly realistic robots because they are inherently creepy or uncanny. Um, and I argue that, that, that uh, humans are more sensitive the more realistic robots get. Um, that means that it's more difficult, more challenging to make them appealing the more realistic they get. But, um, but that, that means that that's because... We're so sensitive that we get more data from more realistic robots, and that actually is an, imp an imperative to make more realistic robots because they'll be more communicative. 
um, and that you just design it right. You have to just be more careful. It's a, it requires more attention to detail, the more realistic you get. You were talking about walking robots that have a, a human-like face. And when I was looking at your uh, your website, I feel that there's a discrepancy between the, the human-like expressions in the walking or the speech. So is this a problem for you? Um, well, I personally, uh, it, it's not a problem for me because I think that that's an interesting thing. I think that the, um, the bodies, the biped bodies in the world are generally not designed or animated the way that computer animation is done. They're not done it's not done by artists. Um, or with artists involved. So uh, if you can bring it up to the level of artistry, if you can employ um, motion control that is uh, um, similar or the same as uh, computer animation motion control, then you can make those bodies move with lifelike grace um, as well. Uh, the speech, uh, the symptoms, Synthesized speech, on the other hand, is pretty good, um, but not uh, perfectly human-like, you know. And it gets better every year. Um, companies like uh, Acapella and Loquindo, um, you know, their voices sound just really good. And uh, at this point, but you can still you can still tell that it's a machine. It still sounds like a machine. Um, I think it's just a matter of time before it doesn't. But in the meantime, that machine, that machine-like voice, is kind of interesting to me. I like you knowing that this is a robot that you're encountering, even while the face looks really beautiful, sophisticated, maybe even very realistically human-like. If you walk around the side, you see motors coming out of the back of the head, or you see the body is um, not human-like, or you hear something in the voice, or maybe you hear servo sounds. Well, all of this, for me, is part of the power of the experience of the robot. I want you to lose yourself in the conversation, but I don't want you to forget that this is a robot. Um, I think that, that, that that's, that's another difference between me and, and some other researchers. Um, you know, because I, I think that it's fun that it is not a human, but that it is a human-like robot. Um, in a way that really um, presents all these identity challenges to the human species. What does it mean to be human? You know, can we, can we externalize our humanity into these machines? Are they actually a threat? Is the whole technology a threat to our human identity, our human existence at some point, the way that uh, some science fiction writers would have us believe? Okay, so here you're looking a little bit into the ethics of robotics. Building robots that act and look like humans raise many unanswered ethical questions, such as should these robots have rights, what is their place in the human society, etc. And uh, I just want to point out something that's written on your website. You say, quote, that Hanson Robotics robots will evolve into socially intelligent beings capable of love and earning a place in the extended human life. Um, how do you approach the ethics of Android Robotics? Can you really make us... Uh, I, you know, that's a question that, that remains to be, uh, answered. Um, uh, can, can robots be us? Well, uh, the same, the same kind of questions are posed in the field of computational neuroscience. Can we 
mathematically model the human mind in such a way that it can be replicated with computer algorithms and then simulated on a computer. And if that's true, then can a computer think like a human being? And that answer is, is uh, that answer is still out there. I mean, those those of us who believe that that there's not uh, there aren't supernatural forces at play in the human mind um, believe that the mind is a mechanism that can be replicated, and that the human identity then can also be replicated um, in machines. Um, uh, but you know whether it can be done remains to be seen. Whether the, the kind of intelligence that results is going to be like an alien intelligence that has zero sympathy for the human species, that remains to be seen, of course. Um, but I think that we have to presume, just the same way that any explorer presumes, that there is land on the other side of that sea, or that you can get there, you can climb that mountain, you can discover the thing that hasn't been discovered before or build what hasn't been built. We have to presume that it can. It can be discovered. It can be built. We can find out the mysteries of the human mind and that we can build machines that are as smart as a human being. We can build. We have to presume that we can build a machine that has a sense of conscience, a sense of compassion. We have to strive to make our machines humanized in this way. In one sentence, what advice would you give to researchers who would like to create a company in robotics? Um, well, uh, study the markets. If you, if you want investment and if you want success, you've got to know what your customer needs. And so you have to, you have to study that um, pretty intensively. And if, um, if, uh, If it's not well-defined, then an investor is not going to put in money. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that that same, that same idea, what, what is the need, what, what does, how do people use what you're developing, um, it, it's a really uh, important uh, path of consideration for technology development. Uh, none of us, none of us want our technologies to... to languish and die in, you know, uh, a laboratory somewhere. We don't, we want it to get used. We want it to, to change people's lives for the better. But to do that, we have to find out how it can be used, how it can be pertinent. And that's it's quite a, quite, um, there can be quite a gap between, uh, between research technology and, uh, and application. But there are also a lot of interesting, um, maybe, you know, theoretical condition, uh, considerations in that, in that jump, too. Okay, so let's talk about the future now. Sure. What do you see as the most promising areas of research in social robotics for the next 20 years? Uh, I, I think the most promising areas of research in, in uh, robotics uh, will be in cognitive architecture um, and uh, actuator, improving um, actuators and actuator performance. Um, uh, which would include electroactive polymer actuators um, uh, or artificial muscles. Um, uh, I would see um, great improvements in uh, compliant actuator controls um, so that you can uh, imitate the springiness, the sort of squishy springiness of, um, 
of uh, human muscles, that viscoelasticity seems to be very important for how human muscles operate, but we have no good models for how to control that kind of system efficiently. Dense actuator, I mean, dense sensing arrays, so having many, many sensors in the surface, multi-functional uh, materials, materials that are both sensors and um, actuators and maybe also processors and structural as well, that's, uh, you know, you wind up with, uh, with highly efficient um, uh, robotic constructions. And then I would also see um, the kind of authoring tools required to rapidly adapt or rapidly customize these technologies, this wide set of technologies, into usable applications. And those authoring tools could be used by applications engineers or by artists. I think it's very important to, um, especially if you're thinking about social robots, if you're thinking about face-to-face -face interactions, um, being able to uh, tune those interactions um, the way that a good writer tunes a novel or the way that a great a team of animators will tune um, a character for an animated film. If we can tune our robots that way, that is by the path of intuition, or if you don't like the word intuition, the kind of black box problem solving that artists are so good at for these kinds of social interaction problems, that, that would be, that would be uh, profoundly impactful. In all areas of robotics now, where do you see the biggest potential? Um, uh, I see the biggest potential for robotics um, uh, being in the world of uh, didactic um, education, entertainment, but also um, educate. So personally, I'm looking at uh, consumer robots that uh, are extremely entertaining, ideally as well animated as any uh, feature film animation that you've ever seen, um, but that would be a f uh, released at a fairly affordable price within a few years. So, and these devices, being wirelessly controlled by a personal computer, can be as smart as our Uh, best robots that we uh, have been demonstrating. This kind of robot could expose a child to an expanded vocabulary. That sounds really simple, but that would be remarkably um, uh, influential on the future of children. Uh, studies show that a larger vocabulary, a kid exposed to a larger vocabulary, has a much uh, broadened horizon, um, uh, more likely, uh, uh, greater likelihood of graduating from high school, going to college, having a higher life, life, uh, uh, lifetime income, um, having a higher IQ. Uh, if you can expose a child to um, knowledge about the world and a sense of wonder about that knowledge of the world, then, um, and, and you do it in such a way that that kid doesn't even notice that the kid's being taught. It's just done in this seamlessly entertaining way by this little figure that the kid considers to be a friend, um, then you will change many, many children's lives. 20 years from now, in which field will robotics have had the biggest impact on our lives? Um, 20 years from now, uh, I see robotics uh, having had the biggest impact on... Um, National security, um, probably. It's, it's really hard to predict. I mean, 20 years is a long time. But the majority of funding right now, at least in the United States, um, 
is in, for robotics is in military applications of robotics. So you have a lot of money going in for um, for robot soldiers, for self-guiding vehicles, for uh, uh, AI-driven logistics supports and uh, you know supply chain management and this kind of thing. Um, uh, so I see that that um, that kind of application of robotics could be good because. Um, by removing soldiers out of the path of harm's way, you have much less need for the deployment of lethal force. So, I mean, I, you know, it's debatable, but it may be good or may be bad, but I see it being very, um, very profoundly uh, um, influential there. Uh, I also see uh, that technology then trickling down into civilian applications. So you have, um, you know, self-guided vehicles, uh, delivering goods and goods uh, um, all around the world. Uh, you have the goods that are delivered then being managed um, by AI-driven uh, 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 stockroom robots that organize and place those goods uh, um, and then deliver them to uh, to people. I see uh, these kinds of behind-the-scenes robots being um, being uh, in wider, um, ever wider usefulness, uh, in ever wider application, and um, uh, you know the 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 other side, of course, is uh, um, consumer robots. I don't I don't know uh, how how influential consumer robots will be, but um, but you you definitely see um, rapid pace of evolution in uh, toy toy robots in uh, sort of domestic helper type robots which are kind of a fad right now like uh you know the um the vacuum cleaner robots the lawnmower robots and you know probably um, you see some emergence towards um general helper type robots robots that can start to do multiple tasks put away the dishes clean up the laundry organize sweep um and vacuum um so uh, okay. For those kinds of applications, a face would be very, very nice. And so I see uh, our technology is being useful in that direction. Um, but, uh, you know, there's mili- the military, uh, these military uh, technologies um, uh, would also be useful in the do- domestic environment. You know, you're, you're tackling, gen- you're now tackling general problems, general problems of localization, of navigation. Um, of mapping, of object recognition, of recognizing a given person versus another. So these are very challenging problems that are that are being solved in these military um, research uh, projects that can then be applied um, to domestic helper robots, consumer products, and the like. Okay. So thanks, David, for being here with us on Talking Robots. Hey, yeah, you bet. I sure do appreciate it. This concludes this episode of Talking Robots with David Hansen from Hansen Robotics. Let's hope we can soon interview one of his Android robots for our show. Talking Robots, the inside view on robotics. For more information on past and upcoming podcasts, visit our website at lis.epfl.com. Dot CH.